To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts, radio, news. The story of the UK is an economy that has got real momentum. What is broken can be repaired. What is ruined can be rebuilt. UK inflation is becoming much more homegrown. We have huge potential as an economy in the UK. This is a time to tell Israel there is a path to peace. Our plan for the British economy is working, but the work is not done. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm James Wilcock. Welcome to the programme. It's Wednesday, so it's Prime Minister's questions. But actually, it's not the only debate or perhaps opposition of views that we might see in the House of Commons today. I mean, yes, the SNP, the Scottish National Party, are proposing a motion calling for an immediate ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. I mean, Stephen, you might remember they did this last year and it worked so well in dividing the Labour Party, they decided to try it again. Yeah, indeed. MPs are going to vote on that later on today. Now, it does pose trouble for Keir Starmer. We have seen a shift in the Labour Party position uh, on a ceasefire in Gaza. Keir Starmer said at the weekend that the fighting must stop now. And the Shadow Foreign Secretary, David Lammy, says there must be an immediate ceasefire of the situation in Gaza. He just as being intolerable. But this is perhaps the goal of the Scottish National Party in calling this vote is to try and prod holes in Labour's position on this. It's so... Language is everything in these amendments. And the SNP's bill uses the word... Well, the motion, sorry. Collective punishment of Palestinians. And that is what Keir Starmer so objects to. What will be interesting to see, though, as we get into this uh, later today when the vote happens, is if... The 56 MPs for Labour who rebelled on this last time rebel again if that number goes up or down. It's a statement of both how the issue geopolitically has moved and also how Labour's position has changed on it. Yeah, indeed. So that's one of the issues in the backdrop for today's Prime Minister's questions. Another new developments in the Post Office Horizon accounting software controversy as well. The former Post Office Chair Henry Staunton releasing this memo, which he says backs up his claim that he was told to delay payments to sub-postmasters impacted by the scandal Kemi Badenoch says those claims are false. Let's listen in to the Labour leader, Keir Starmer. New member for Wellingborough and the new member for Kingswood. I know they will both be powerful advocates for their constituents. On on a more sombre note, Mr Speaker, can I join with the Prime Minister? I was glad to hear what he just had to say because I'm sure the whole House will join me in sharing our disgust at the death of Alexei Navalny, who, as the Prime Minister said, died because of his efforts to expose the corruption of the Putin regime. It is a reminder that Putin has stolen not just the wealth, but also the future and democracy of the Russian people. Mr Speaker, would the Prime Minister be prepared personally to repeat the allegation made by his business secretary that the former chair of the post office is lying when he says he was told to go slow on compensation for postmasters and limp to the next election. 
Minister. Mr Speaker, as the Business Secretary said on Monday, she asked Henry Staunton to step down after serious concerns were raised. She set out the reasons for this and the full background in the House earlier this week. But importantly, we have also taken unprecedented steps to ensure that victims of the Horizon scandal do receive compensation as swiftly as possible and in full, making sure that victims receive justice and compensation remains our number one priority, and we will shortly bring forward legislation to address this matter soon. I'm not sure that takes us very much further forward, so so let let me press on, because on Monday, the Business Secretary also confirmed categorically that the, pro, that the Post Office was, and I'll, I'll quote this in fairness to the Prime Minister, uh, at no point told to delay compensation payments by either an official or a minister from any government department, and at no point was it suggested that a delay would be of benefit to the Treasury. So that's Monday. A note released by the former post office chair this morning appears, appears to directly contradict that. And I appreciate, I appreciate the business. This really matters to the people who have been at the heart. I, I, I appreciate that the business secretary has put the prime minister in a tricky position, but, but will he commit to investigating this matter properly, including? whether that categorical statement was correct and why, rather than taking those accusations seriously, she accused a whistleblower of lying. Mr Speaker, it is worth bearing in mind that, as the Business Secretary said on Monday, she asked Henry Staunton to step down after serious concerns were raised. But this is on a matter of substance, one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in our nation's history, because people who were working hard serving their communities had their lives and reputations destroyed, and that's why we are working hard to ensure that they get justice and compensation, and that's why we established Sir Wynne Williams' inquiry. It's why we've already paid out over £150 million of compensation to almost 3,000 victims, and it's why we will introduce new legislation shortly to exonerate those. We will make sure that we do what is needed, that the truth does come to light, we right the wrongs of the past, and, crucially, that victims get the justice that they deserve. Mr Speaker, I do hope the Prime Minister will instigate that um, investigation into what was said on Monday, because one of the features of this miscarriage is that where concerns have been raised, they have been pushed to one side. Um, and this, week, this week, we also learned that a 2016 investigation into whether post office branch accounts could be altered was suddenly stopped before it was completed. Now, had that investigation revealed that they could be altered, which we now know to be the case, the livelihoods of those wrongly prosecuted could have been saved. What did government ministers know about it at the time? Mr Speaker, the Leader of the Opposition has picked one particular date, but it is worth bearing in mind that this scandal 
hang on. This scandal has unfolded over decades, Mr. Speaker, and it was actually following a landmark 2019 High Court case that the previous government established a statutory inquiry led by Sir Wynne Williams, which is uncovering exactly what went wrong, Mr. Speaker, and it is right that that inquiry is allowed to do its work. But also, Mr. Speaker, following the High Court case, the government established an independent advisory board, established not one but three different compensation schemes, and as, to, as of now, over two thirds of people have received full and final offers. Because what we are focused on is making sure that the victims get the justice and the compensation that they deserve. Mr Speaker, this uh, information about 2016 has just come to light, I think, this week, which is precisely why I'm asking about it. Considering the Prime Minister's Foreign Secretary was running the government in 2016, and one of the Prime Minister's current Cabinet Office Ministers was the Post Office Minister, has he thought to ask either of them what they knew in 2016? No, 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 Mr. Speaker. We did, we, did the, we, did, we did the right thing, which was to set up an independent statutory inquiry. It would have, it, that is the right way to resolve this issue. It's the right way to get victims the truth and the answers that they demand. But this government is getting, on, get, getting them the compensation that they rightly deserve. Mr. Speaker, as we all know, the Horizon scandal left people isolated, their livelihoods lost, their lives ruined. Some died without ever getting the justice that they deserved. Fears of delay, Prime Minister, or cover-up are causing them anguish. And yesterday, Chris Head, uh, once accused by the post office of owing more than £80,000, he said this uh, yesterday. There is a lack of transparency. We need to see the correspondence between the post office, the department and UKGI, because all of the time everything gets shrouded in secrecy this is his words. Have some respect, please. He's a victim. Now, I appreciate the inquiry is ongoing, but as the Prime Minister knows, and so do I, so does the whole House, that does not provide a reason why he can't draw a line under this, give postmasters like Chris the peace of mind they need, and release all of the correspondence that he wants to see. Will he now do so? Mr. Mr. Speaker, as I said, this is one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in our country's history. I don't think it's not one I don't think that the Leader of the Opposition ever raised with me over these exchanges over the past year. But we are working hard to get victims not just the answers but the compensation they deserve. But we do now have a statutory inquiry led by Sir Wynne Williams, who has the powers to get access to all the documentation that he requires, speak to everybody that he needs to. That is the right and proper way to get the truth that the victims deserve. But in the meantime, we are not wasting a moment to get victims the compensation they deserve, and the legislation will be before the House shortly. In recent decades, there have been numerous scandals that have left shaken public faith in our institutions, and rebuilding that confidence will require those affected to see that politicians are being honest with them and to believe it. Just like the postmasters, victims of the infected blood scandal have been subject to unimaginable trauma during their search for justice. So can the Prime Minister put their minds at ease and tell the House what undertakings he has made to ensure the government is not limping to the election on payments that they are owed by the British state. Mr Speaker, when it comes to the inflected blood scandal, as I have said before, I am acutely aware 
of the strength of feeling on this issue and the suffering of all those who were impacted by this dreadful scandal. I gave evidence to the inquiry myself last year. And as I said then, I recognise that thousands have suffered for decades. As he knows, there is an independent inquiry. The Minister for the Cabinet Office, the Minister for the Cabinet Office, because this is an incredibly complex issue, as he well knows, updated Parliament with the latest government position just before the Christmas <coughs> recess, announced that the Cabinet Office was appointing an expert group of clinical, legal and social care experts, so it had the relevant expertise to make informed decisions responding to the inquiry's recommendations on compensation when they come, and confirmed that the Department for Health will implement a fully bespoke psychological service for people infected and affected. <coughs> we have also committed to providing an update to, to Parliament on next steps through an oral statement within 25 sitting days of the publication of the final report. But I'll end where I began. This is a deeply awful scandal, and we will do what we need to to make it right. Can't they? Thank you. That was the Labour leader Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak at this, year, this week's Prime Minister's Questions, one dominated by that story around the post office scandal and this, you know, comments that we've had back and forth between the Business and Trade Secretary, Kemi Batenock, talking about the, the claims being made by the former post office chair as being false. He says, as Henry Staunton says, that uh, he was told to delay payments to sub-postmasters. He's produced a memo which he says backs up his claims as well. The Lib Dems have gotten involved in this too. It's worth saying they've asked the ethics advisor to look into Kemi Badenoch's claims uh, that she made in Parliament that these statements were false. Most of the Prime Minister's questions taken up by this issue, James, this is another controversy that's just not going away. Yeah, I mean, most of the gag writers were clearly sent home this week, Stephen. It was a very, very sombre affair. It's worth noting for Starmer, that is a choice to go into the post office. And it's a very clear choice in hindsight to go, this is a box office issue on which I have very little ground I can lose as Keir Starmer, very little sort of ways that Labour can suffer from this. And despite a range of issues he could have taken the PM to task on, he thought that picking the business and trade safety, Kemi Badenoch, as a target. Most of those questions were focused on her and what she said, and twice Sunak didn't answer it didn't that if he thought was going to repeat the wording that Badenoch had used of lying. If the ex-chair of the post office had lied when he said the government's aides had told him to go slowly on getting compensation for victims. And that, for me, ties together the central labour attack line of the Conservatives have mishandled the economy and spending to the most toxic political issue of the year so far, which is the post office scandal. Yeah, and look, that's it's. And I think you, you make a very important point there around how the featuring of of Kemi Badenoch, who is you know a popular figure in the Conservative Party and certainly parts of the Conservative Party, and and perhaps setting up to try and create another split in the Conservative Party over this issue, which there is overwhelming public support for the postmasters and postmasters that uh, were the victims of this. Scandal as well. It's an interesting political tactic, I suppose, for Keir Starmer to have taken to try and open up that divide over what Kemi Badenoch says about this and whether or not Keir Starmer backs her actions. And will Sunak have the power to potentially go into looking at disciplining or even potentially attacking a minister, especially one who is near the top of Conservative Homes opinion polls for most popular ministers. Mm. And I mean, I don't want to bring Rishi Sunak private grief, but he is nowhere near the top of the, that same polling. And so you're right, it both stirs internal dissent. It also potentially, if Badenoch is the front runner to be the next world leader, starts 
putting her name through the mud for a potential future leader of the opposition if Keir Starmer went to the winning election. So it's a very strategic choice by him. Um, I will say, Stephen, all this PMQs is likely to then go into this Gaza debate later today. And so this praising Keir Starmer for now is it's a very short lived one because he's also going to go away from this meeting and try and rally his own MPs so they don't rebel on him later today as well. Yeah, indeed. And that could be a very difficult afternoon in the Commons for the leader of the opposition too. We should also mention, of course, that um, the the last question in Prime Minister's questions to referring to the payments uh, still waiting for victims of the contaminated blood scandal and, and this question over when the money would be made available. Um, there was an interim amount put in place uh, uh, last year but the fact of when the rest of the compensation is going to be paid out and when victims will get it lots of questions of the timing of that as well and we heard the Prime Minister speaking about that too let's turn though to another story that we've been following today in the world of politics and this is from the Ministry of Defence insisting that Britain's nuclear deterrent remains safe, secure and effective after confirming a Trident missile test failed sending it crashing into the sea The embarrassment was compounded by the fact that both the Defence Secretary Grant Shapps and the head of the British Navy were on the submarine at the time. Now, sources insist the failure was linked to the fact that this was a test. Had it been a real launch, there would have been it would have been successful. But it's put the question of the nuclear deterrent back into focus uh, as well. Let's discuss this now with Andrew Dorman, who's Professor of International Security at King's College London, and also editor of the Chatham House International Affairs Journal. Uh, Professor Dorman, welcome to Bloomberg UK Politics. Is this an embarrassment or something more serious? It's embarrassing. We don't know exactly the technical side of things. The statements made would indicate that actually what's clear is there's no problem with the submarines. The issue was with the missile itself. And what they're saying from the Ministry of Defence is it would have been successful if it had been it had to be used in combat. But um, it, indications are that it was hitting, going outside the range requirements and therefore they self-destructed the missile. But it's obviously a cause for concern for the Ministry of Defence. That's the second Trident test which has, has failed. And um, it, it does raise some degree of concern. Something that struck me reading sort of the news around this, Professor Dorman, is it's the second test in a row to have failed, but I was surprised to see the second test was so far back. Now, obviously, we hear the Trident programme is very well tested, but it's often the US side of it that tests more. Why is it that Britain tests it so less frequently? Well, what we're testing is... It's it's a shared pool of missiles. So we have a we don't directly own any missiles, nor do the Americans. We we own a share in a collective pool of missiles. So, in a sense, the testing between the two is part of an overall test to ensure the ongoing reliability of the Trident missiles. So, the Americans will be just as concerned as the UK will be about this missile, and we will we will look at what their tests and our tests. The missile cleared that the. the, the, the tubes from the the boat so it is about the missile itself so we so have this to isn't look specifically a, a british embarrassment it's concerned because it's every time there's a failure so it, it, it raises concerns about the, the, the system and it also it's embarrassing because you know it, it, it's, it's high profile and the big problem for the united kingdom in this regard is we only have one nuclear delivery system we're the only one of the p5 with a single delivery system so we have no backup system we rely solely on the trident system what should we expect to happen next if there's been a, one of these tests that fails and it's the, the second one, as we've mentioned, the last one being in, in 2016? What What's the logical next step for the Defence Forces to ensure that this system does work? 
they will be doing the scientists will be doing and reviewing the, all the data from the test itself to see if there's anything that they can pick up on that one they'll be doing checks on that one the key thing for the united kingdom i think really is to ensure what they'll be looking to do is to try and look at the next test and make sure that that works smoothly and it will probably be from an american boat rather than a british boat because it'll probably be their turn to do one of the tests and they'll just be making sure that the missiles themselves are working but it does raise a bigger question of whether the uk should have a backup system so this the boats themselves are quite old that the replacements are coming on stream but that will take another 10 years before we are actually going to see all the, the boats were being replaced armed with the issues of Russian threats over Ukraine and potentially a new UK's contribution to the NATO nuclear deterrent. There's a real question mark about whether the UK actually needs to invest in its nuclear systems far more and have a second capability. I mean, you raise a really interesting point there about sort of investment. I mean, I read a lot of civil service documents about value for money. It's a big guiding principle of how we spend money in a government. Can this system that has been proven to fail twice in a row now be said to be value for money for providing Britain's defence, as you say, in this sort of time of growing global insecurity? One of the dilemmas you've got in terms of how do you ever prove something that you ideally don't use? It's a bit like your car insurance or your house insurance. Ideally, you, ne- you, you spend the money on these things and you never have to use them. And then ultimately, if you've invested in car insurance for years and years and you've never made a claim, was it value for money? It's a protection. And the goal from the United Kingdom is that by having this, we are ultimately deterring uh, other states from potentially attacking the United Kingdom. Um, Do you see this, though, as as reigniting the debate over the cost of Trident? Because it has been a feature of quite large political debate over the years, perhaps less so uh, since the Russian invasion of of Ukraine, but certainly a topic that, that does return to political discourse with reasonable regularity. It does. And the whole question is, is it costs an awful lot of money. And the UK is one of the only two nuclear guarantors within NATO, the other being the United States. The French haven't their nuclear forces into NATO. Is it worth it doing so? Well, one of the real big concerns for the United Kingdom and NATO is the words of President candidate Trump and suggesting that he may not preserve the Article 5 guarantee that is resolved around NATO. And the big question for Europeans of which the United Kingdom is, is, is in, in central part, is what happens if the US stops guarantee, providing the Article 5 guarantee to the rest of Europe? In which case, we'll be looking at real pressure on the United Kingdom and the French governments to significantly increase their nuclear capabilities. In the UK, especially for you know big famous conservative politicians like Ben Wallace, the former Defence Secretary, they want a lot more investment if UK GDP going into defence. What kind of areas should that money that they're asking for be invested in professor given as you've just said it feels like we've got a lot of eggs in one basket and that basket has just had quite an embarrassing miss you're right in that respect there's a number of ways they can invest in defense and this this is a big question that the parties are not articulating the political party at the moment is how closely and how concerned are we the narrative coming out of the last defense review is Russia's a really big threat. It's a big threat now. We need to be rearming, rethinking about this. China is a threat, at least in the medium term, if not sooner. You know, the world is getting very, very dangerous. And then they said, but we'll invest in defence once the economy turns around in about five or six years' time. It doesn't add up. If the threats are, as the government and the opposition are saying, 
there is a clear case for rearmament that we're seeing that another number of other NATO states are doing. The UK is not responding in that respect. If we need to rearm, then the logic is probably to rearm in terms of conventional forces, particularly in terms of the Navy and the Air Force. But you can link in that with the Navy on the nuclear side by acquiring additional F-35As and equipping them with either free fall or nuclear cruise missiles. I I wanted to ask you about another story in this sphere that we've been watching today, and this is a warning from the US that Russia could put a nuclear weapon into space by the end of the year. Now, this would target satellites rather than humans, but is it something that should be a big concern or is a big concern for the UK? It is. It's a concern for the UK and it's a concern for a lot of countries because the dependence on satellites for flowing information, for seeing what's going on, it's crucial for us, it's crucial for the Chinese, it's crucial for the United States. So putting nuclear weapons in space is a real cause of concern because since the proliferation we'll see with that, we have so far largely managed to avoid doing so. So I don't think we want them, the Russians to be doing this. Andrew Dorman, a Professor of International Security at King's College London and editor of the Chatham House International Affairs Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. James, this is another debate that, as I say, we haven't been hearing so much of recently, but as we move closer to the general election, the question over how much the UK spends on defence, how much the next government wants to commit to spending on defence, given we know so many fiscal challenges are out there. In fact, the figures only out today did show that there was a record budget surplus in January. That could be good news for the the Chancellor going into the budget in two weeks' time as well. But these are big debates to be had and they have long-term consequences. And, I mean, the theme from we're seeing in the, this episode today, Stephen, is a lot of unexpected costs. You know, the inflected blood scandal, these postmaster scandal, this cost of a growing insecure world. I mean, just yesterday on the podcast, we were talking about Birmingham City Council's big new measures. We talk a lot about fiscal headroom here, but that's always the Chancellor dancing with below the red line of the budgeted costs. And it's always supposed to be the emergency headroom for when the unbudgeted costs come. And I think the UK does need to start thinking about what happens when the unplanned charges that you need to answer start appearing on the balance sheet. Yeah, what can upset the fiscal apple cart? Well, we will know in two weeks the latest update when we hear the budget from the Chancellor. But that's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by Tiwa Adebayo and our audio engineer was Marufal Hussain. I'm James Wilcock. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.